Hey everyone, this is Christopher Luxon, the former CEO of Air New Zealand. This is John Lee Dumas, the founder and host of Entrepreneurs on Fire. This is Tracy Ibarra. I'm an executive solutions at Dell Technologies. This is Travis Chappell, founder of Build Your Network. If you are wanting to learn how to embrace change, to navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to the Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast. The Leadership is Changing podcast with my good friend, my very good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. A big welcome to you to the show, Chandra. Thank you very much, Dennis. I appreciate the opportunity to have a chat with you. Awesome. Whereabouts are you in the world today? I am sitting in my home office in Auckland in New Zealand. Very cool. Now, your name, first name, surname, where does your name originate from? So Chandra Salvadure, it originates from Sri Lanka. So my forefathers were, were born and raised in Sri Lanka of Tamil origin. So that's where the name comes from. I mean, there's also connotations that Salvadure has got sort of a, some Portuguese uh, sort of an influence. And I haven't been able to validate that as to whether that's true or, or not. So there's a little bit of mystery there, perhaps. Well, I think it's a beautiful name, Salvadure. I think it's beautiful in Sri Lankan, wonderful. So are you a big cricket fan? I'm a big cricket fan. I'm a big football fan. I'm a big rugby fan. Anything that's got a bat and a ball and anything that you can get up and scream at and shout at and get passionate about, that's, uh, that's me. <laughs> that's awesome. Very good. Hey, we've given the listeners a little bit of a background about you. Tell us, is there anything else you'd like to share about you and your background? Yeah, listen, very, very, very quickly, Dennis, uh, thank you for asking. I was born in Malaysia, in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and I lived in Malaysia till I was about 15. And then I, through my support of my parents, I left to go to the UK to start my studies in the UK, A-levels, et cetera, which I did. I started doing that, but I ended up from being in the UK because the costs in the UK for study was really, really high. And my brother and my sister were, had studied in the UK as well. And I felt that there was a huge burden on my, on my poor folks because they were, you know, they were bankrolling that, that whole operation. Uh, and anyway, I managed to get an opportunity to to finish my pre-university in Australia. So, and also closer to, to Malaysia. And I went to Australia to do my tertiary admissions exam and I finished that and then ended up going to university in Perth and Western Australia and did my postgraduate and, you know, some other sort of study in, in Australia. And yeah, started to work in Australia. And one of my friends was transferred to New Zealand through work. And he said to me, he says, mate, you should come over. They've got something called snow in this place, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, I thought about it. I thought, yeah, I'll come over to New Zealand for a, for a little holiday. And I came across to Wellington for about a week. But I noticed in the newspaper when I bought a paper when I landed that there were a lot of jobs for medical laboratory scientists. And I'm a trained medical laboratory scientist. And so I called and applied, you know, handwritten a few notes to a, a few labs. I got six labs come back to me and say, come in for an interview. I went for five. I got five offers. And I thought, gee, this New Zealand is, you know, it's a pretty cool place. They all like me here. So um, I decided to put a hold on my master's studies in, in Australia 
and said, I'll come back, came to New Zealand, and that was back in 1988, and New Zealand has been home ever since then. And I left home, as I said, very, very young, but from a very close family, so that was quite, I think, difficult for my parents to see, you know, their young 15-year-old son disappear, knowing, actually knowing that I probably would not return, because that was, I guess, the sort of person I, I was becoming, that I would have wanderlust for travel and, and whatnot. So yeah, so New Zealand is very, very happily my, has been my home for over 35 years. So um, Wow. And did you spend a lot of time in Wellington as well, or did you move to Auckland? I spent two years in, in Wellington, so they're my, my formative years in, in New Zealand. Coming from Perth, Western Australia to Wellington, was a bit of a shock to the system, I can, I can tell you. But I loved being in Wellington. It was great. I made lots of, of really good friends. We're still friends to, to this day. And I have spent, yeah, the last 33 years in Auckland. You know, I got married and my wife is an Aucklander. And I've had two kids. Uh, well, they're not kids anymore. They're, they're adults. My son has got a similar wanderlust as me and is in London. And, and my daughter, she, she lives here in Auckland. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Fascinating. That's very good. Yeah. I, I'm actually from Wellington, so we probably would have been quite, we probably actually bumped, bumped into each other probably in the streets, maybe, but. Oh, possibly. Yeah. Very positive. New Zealand's a small place. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Very small place. Now, look, you've been in the healthcare industry for 30 years, well, over 30 years, and you were appointed as a CEO to Pharm- Pharmaco in 2013. So, how did you actually get into leadership? I think, Dennis, I, I always felt that taking initiative was a really good thing to do. And it's something which I guess my parents also sort of inculcated into me and also ensured you always do the right thing and where you could just do and be better and be the best that you could be. And I think, you know, other thing was showing respect, empathy for people and being able to actually draw people to you and to, to develop a feeling of trust. It was very important. So, you know, it's, it's sort of a more of a, of a self-discovery thing. And but all of this helped me in a range of roles. And then when I joined Pharmaco about 28 years ago, the leadership back at Pharmaco then perhaps recognized that there was something there that I wanted to do. And I ended up being in a position where there were people who would come to me and then it became people who started to report to me. And then it just it just developed from there. And you, know, you did a few courses in, in sort of management and, and whatnot. And I, I remember early on, many years ago, I was uh, with a multinational company and I was sent to, uh, to Singapore for a management course. And I met a number of people there and learned a lot from other people. I think that's also, I think, part of leadership is it's not all about, it's never about you. It's about people and it's how you learn and interact and develop your, set, your, you know, your own sense of identity from other people. So I, I, I met these folks from all around the world and, and I recognized you know, that there were ways and means that you could get the best from other people just by being yourself and being open and honest you know, and truthful. And people actually trusted you and you know, they confided in you and you are the more richer for it as well. So listen, I don't think it was a, I don't think there was a, a clear steps uh, that, that I took. I always felt that I wanted to be in a position where I was able to make a difference and to be able to change things for the better. I mean, it sounds quite dramatic, but I don't think it is. I think it is just a case of just being the best that I could be. So that's kind of how I stumbled into, into leadership, I think. And then I remember many years ago, I was at a meeting and I was meeting with the, the chairman of a company and I was asked to sit outside you know, the boardroom having a cup of tea. And outside the boardroom, there was this little plaque. It was this tiny little thing. It was really colorful, really drew me to it. 
and the word still, I mean, I use this every chance I get, to be honest, every person I meet. All of my, my staff I know this, you know, back to front, all my colleagues rather. And it said this, it said, good, better, best, never let it rest until your good is better and your better is best. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, that was just fantastic. And what was incredible, what it was written by a saint, Saint Jerome from the 14th century. Wow. Crikey, I would have, I would have employed him the first chance I got, but that was for me, that's also I think a, an element of what good leadership is, just just be the best you can be. You know, yep. you don't have to be better than anyone else. Just be the best you can be, you know, yeah. and and hopefully that's that's going to be enough. I think it's great. I, th- I love what you're sharing there. That's brilliant. And even just that, what was on that plaque, wow, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah. Even just to be able to go out for a coffee with that person or even spend time with a person, right? Imagine that. And yeah, it'd be fantastic. And the other thing too is it's really quite interesting how, what you're saying here is be yourself, be open, and be truthful. And and that's what people are looking for. They're looking for that leader who's open, realistic, transparent, and that's really important. So I think that's, that's some really good traits that you've actually had there, that you've used and you continue to use, which is brilliant to see. I am sitting in my home office in Boston, Massachusetts, actually specifically South Boston, Massachusetts, which is well known for some of its criminal minds way back in the early 1920s, 30s, and 40s. So, Oh, wow. That sounds really fascinating. Yeah, a lot of history. Yeah, a lot of history. Yeah, very good. Now, look, I've just given our listeners a brief introduction to you. Just tell us a little bit more about your background. So... I always thought I was going to be a big a chief human resource officer, people officer in an organization, went to school, got a master's degree in education focused on human resource development, specifically instructional design, started my career with Accenture. So I was kind of on the way in the consulting world, took another job with a company, startup telecommunications job, great organization. It was so much fun being in a startup. And then my life changed. I got married. I had a baby. The company let me go. And I was not sure what to do with my career. I actually moved at that same time. And I moved, if anybody knows, to Buffalo, New York, where it's not the hotbed of jobs, especially when it was in the early 1990s. And I wanted to work. I needed to work. And I had a baby. So I decided to start my own business only out of necessity because I could not find a job. So I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. And here <laughs> I am now, almost 30 years later, still being independent. Now I work with a couple of partners. And in that entire time, I only spent about 18 months back inside an organization. I wanted to see what it was like to go back, especially in this day and age. It was just a couple of years ago. I thought it'd be really fun to work with millennials. Thought it would be really fun again to work with a brand new company launching a brand new software. So another startup situation. And it was great for a little while, but I really felt my passion was consulting, even though I never thought I would be a consultant for this long. And here I am back in business with two wonderful partners, people I've known for over 20 years. And I have to say, I love what I'm doing, especially because I'm not doing it alone. Mm. I feel like I really am a much better partner consultant, having an organization to work with and not having to brainstorm by myself and think by myself and do everything alone. It's really, really, really wonderful now working with a team. 
Oh, awesome. Yeah, that's great. Now, a couple of things you've said there, which I want to do a little bit of a dive, okay. a little bit deep dive on that. One is about, you said about going to another organization, because when you said about 30 something years consulting and then I thought, oh, I wonder if you ever went back. And then you actually said it. I actually went back for 18 months. And you said, I thought it was going to be this. And I thought it was going to be that. So, I mean, what was the transition from being in your own business back into a sort of like an organization and back into your own business again? What was that transition like? It was not easy. I thought, you know, oh, I've worked with all these companies and my model used to be to go in and actually work and manage a large project team because I was a resource they were missing. So I had had that opportunity for pretty much my career working with these many large global companies. But when you go in to a company to be the head of learning and development when you've kind of never done that before in a startup environment. And I mean, startup rapid. I interviewed, there were 750 people. I joined, there was 900. And when I left 18 months later, there were close to 2000 people in the organization. So it was explosive growth. And my core competency is learning and development and consulting. And you have to play politics inside an organization. You really need to understand the corporate culture. And I think part of it was we were moving so quickly and I built a team fairly rapidly that it was almost too much. It was so overwhelming. The pace was, I mean, I've never, well, except for now this business, but I had never worked at a pace so quickly. Now I just work very long hours. And it was absolutely wonderful, but I got burnt out. It was really, really hard to bring on 100 to 150 people a month and as well to build the learning and development organization. So I think for me, it was a little bit, it was burnout because of the pace, but I loved working in the fast-paced environment. I loved working with these founders who were also incredible leaders and who were smart enough to bring a CEO in to run the business. And it was exciting to work with millennials. And after 18 months, I was kind of done with it. I love the pace. I love their energy. But there is a lot to do and a lot going on. And for me, I was really missing the consulting piece of that work. Right, right. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, the fast pace would have been amazing and uh, huge growth. I mean, that's that's massive. And then yes. how do you onboard that many people while also trying to, as you're saying, build the plane as it's flying and trying to build that learning and development areas are fascinating indeed. Nettie, we talked about, of course, we're talking about leadership and things around changing that today. How did you get into leadership? It kind of was a roadmap of when I started off in my career doing learning and development, I was kind of in the sales area. And then I did some customer service work. And then I started moving more into the skill building area. And then when I was with that startup that I was talking about very early on, we ended up needing to do leadership development. Like most startups, you're hiring young individuals who are very motivated, want to really get far in their career, but they just don't have the skill sets. And even with many startups, what you're also finding is that their managers don't always have the skill sets either because they've been promoted maybe from a technical person to a manager. Mm -hmm. So I got into it because of my background of learning and development and really understanding what, what it takes to be a good leader and starting to build and develop management and leadership development programs 
and also having the opportunity to work with great leaders in these organizations that I was consulting with to understand what it takes to be a good leader, to understand what the skills are. Mm. And I don't want to say soft skills. We like to call them critical skills that you need. And watching them lead and understanding the hows and the whys and the what's of what they're doing. So I got into it through needing to develop really great sustainable management and leadership development programs. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I, wow. Oh, I'd have loved to have been there actually, and that's and just the, the yeah. speed with it, and just doing that. Well, it would have been fantastic. Now, you mentioned something mentioned something before, and I said there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you and dive a little sure. bit deeper. And I, I'm going to go back to the the second one, and that is you said today that you you tend to work with two other people, business partners, and that the word collaboration I think is huge today, and we're seeing a lot of organisations leaders needing to collaborate. So, from your perspective. How important has that been for you to collaborate with others and why? So if I didn't collaborate, I would never have been in business. So collaboration was probably one of the most important parts of being a consultant. It's also, for me, it's how you can get things done. If you can't collaborate, you can't be in a vacuum and do things all by yourself. You need Mm. to have a team, the organization for Sater and Connect, our partners, we need to collaborate to be able to see different perspectives, to get work done, to understand what we do best, to understand what each person does best to really look at the whole. And we're seeing that in organizations today. One of the greatest problems that companies are having is collaborate collaboration and especially cross-functional collaboration. It's just a area that many managers and even teams and individuals struggle with, like working across different teams and functions. And with Michael and Josh, my two partners, because we've known each other for so long, came into business knowing each other, but we didn't know each other's like really truly know each other's skill sets. And that took a little bit of time in order to understand where we each did our best working in the business and how to collaborate with each other based on what those skills and competencies are. Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world.